This episode of the Ruminum Podcast is sponsored in part by BCS America. BCS two-wheel tractors are versatile, maneuverable in tight spaces, lightweight for less compaction, and easy to maintain and repair on farm. Gear-driven and built to last for decades of dependable service. BCSamerica.com This episode is supported by Dubois Agrinovation. For irrigation supplies, hand tools, mulch films, pest control, containers, and much more, visit Dubois Egg Renovation at DuboisAg.com and get free shipping on orders of $200 or more. That's D-U-B-O-I-S-A-G.com. I'm Jordan Marr, and this is The Ruminant, a podcast about food politics and food security and the cultural and practical aspects of farming. You can find out more at theruminant.ca or email me, editor at theruminant.ca. I'm on Twitter, at ruminantblog, or find me on Facebook. All right, let's do a show. My guest today is Carl Hammer, a farmer and compost making wizard based out of Vermont. Many of you probably know his company, Vermont Compost, which produces potting soil and compost products that have a really good reputation. Speaking of reputations, when I was offered the chance to speak with Carl, I jumped because he's known to be a wealth of information on soil fertility, compost, and related topics. Hey folks, this is Jordan. I'm cutting in at a really late stage in production with an embarrassing thing to acknowledge. In this episode, you're going to hear Carl and me talk about Ramiel Wood, and I will be explaining what that is, and so will Carl. But the thing I want to say is that until just a moment ago, very late in production, I thought that he had said Ramiel Wood with an N, not Ramiel Wood with an M. So I can't change it. It is way too late for that. But I just want to acknowledge that we're talking about Ramiel with an M. And since I'm cutting in, I'll take the time to mention that Carl refers to some research that has been done on the use of Ramiel wood chips in farming systems. And I'm going to try and uh, include a couple of links to some of that research uh, in the show notes for this episode and over at theruminant.ca. So if you want to do some further reading, of course, you can Google it yourself and you'll have more luck if you Google Ramiel Wood. Uh, but you can also you can also try and follow the links that I'll provide. Thanks, folks. On with the episode. In preparing to talk to Carl, I listened to a long form interview he gave to the late, great Chris Blanchard of the Farmer to Farmer podcast. One topic they covered in that conversation, which you can still access through your favorite podcasting app, was the use of wood chips in Carl's compost making. Carl and Chris didn't go into great detail, and I've always wanted to learn more about this topic, so I proposed to Carl that we talk about the use of wood biomass as a soil and compost amendment. I started with this question. Why consider using wood chips in your soil or compost at all? Good question. Um, Trees are in many bioregions the climax soil organizer of the plant system. So plants organize soils. Um, that's their role. They, they, they utilize photosynthesis so that they can remunerate, provide the payment to and for the energy for the soil systems, fungus, bacteria, et cetera, et cetera, are all, um, the, the, the energy comes from photosynthesis. So trees are the climax organizer. They have the longest residents in soil their roots go to the bedrock typically where possible and they um have extract a lot of um um mineral benefit and they have a lot of silica so all of those things 
uh, our benefits to impart to a to a uh, an annual or even a a, a shrub or perennial culture. Um, those the wood the wood constitutes a big storage of of beneficial um, componentry in a soil system. That's okay. the reason you would add it. It gives you very tangible benefits. Uh, it can really benefit soils that are mechanically inadequate. It can help them to be much more erosion proof, and uh, it it definitely helps the. I mean, it feeds uh, saprophytic fungus, the fungus that eat uh, dead things, uh, not the mycorrhizal fungus, which are depend on photosynthesis immediately, but but the saprophytic fungus help impart structure to soils. So feeding fungus uh, in the system uh, definitely improves the overall photosynthetic capability of a soil. In my conversation with Carl, I started out using the general term tree biomass and didn't take him long to emphasize that we needed to get a little more technical. Basically, I was like, hey, Carl, want to talk about the internet? And he was like, I'm interested in upgrading my 28.8 kilobaud internet connection to a 1.5 megabit fiber optic T1 line. Will you be able to provide an IP router that's compatible with my token ring Ethernet LAN configuration? Okay, here's what Carl actually said. Any of those words, tree, biomass, or wood chip, are relatively nonspecific nouns. You really do need specificity. Um, uh, ab- trees have anatomy. Uh, you know, on the outside of a tree is the bark, uh, the, which I think of as the, the clothing the tree greets the world with, the raiment. There's the 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 cambium layer where 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 there is so much nutrient density and then the core of the tree has a much higher uh percentage of relatively uh durable carbon structures lignin cellulose and you know hemicellulose all of those things so the age of the tree uh and the species of the tree all have a lot of impact on the tree's likely effects on on soil where it's applied Okay, to be more specific then, Carl wanted to talk about the benefits of using rainial wood for amendment purposes, which is the wood produced in a tree's growing tips. He also tends to use the word brushwood as a synonym for rainial wood. Here we're retreading material from the Farmer to Farmer interview, but it serves as a good review and sets us up for more details. Note that when Carl defines rainial wood as two and a half inch minus, he means shoots and branches that are less than two and a half inches in diameter. We'll start about with a concept called rainial, which comes from an old English word, which means brush wood, comes from the French root, lemash. And big tree has a very different carbon to nitrogen ratio than brushwood. To give you an example, a big conifer pine tree two foot through, its bowlwood may have a CN ratio of 500 parts of carbon to one part of nitrogen. The growing tip of that plant, the apical tip, could have a CN ratio as low as eight mm. to one. So a factor of 50. So obviously the ratio of apical tip to bowlwood really matters in terms of the bioeffect of that material. So Ramiel is usually defined at a, as about two and a half inch minus, and it's typically deciduous or hardwood trees, Ramiel. And the reason I mention Ramiel is that a lot of ongoing work has been done with supporting 
vegetable productivity on lands that are tilled annually. In, in both cases, conclusion over these years is that if you're going to subject soil to a lot of tilling, you, you, you have much more productivity relatively quickly and continuously if you apply about 10 ton of ramiel to the acre per year. So on behalf of every lay gardener ever, I asked him the obvious next question. Won't all that wood tie up a lot of available nitrogen as it's broken down? Carl's answer, definitely, which is one of the main reasons why he recommends using ramiel wood. It has a lower carbon to nitrogen ratio. Now, one of the things that has to be a cautionary for growers always when you talk about this is that wood chips, depending on what they are, can have a strong initial nitrogen demand and can stunt vegetable growth. So I think it's fair to say that many growers have hurt themselves by applying undifferentiated wood chips or and or sawdust without a, a good protocol to utilize. Same. Um, so, but, but this can be learned by, by doing it, it, you know, it needn't be uh, intimidating, um, but it's why the emphasis and why growers and why the word rain meal carried weight when, you know, back when people knew that, uh, that, that brushwood had a very different fertility effect. In fact, he told me that rain wood chipped to the appropriate size can even be added to your compost piles and allowed to self-finish without turning. Anyway, even using rainial, Carl explained that the ideal situation when adding chips to your soil is to add it to your cover crops rather than alongside a market crop. You know, I would encourage people to consider using the, uh, if they're going to use an uncomposted wood directly in soil, they should put it on in, in relatively small applications and they should intend to, to put, put it on into uh, a legume that they're growing as a cover crop. Ah, okay, okay. Um, rather than try to plant the onions right in where you put the wood chips. The principle that, that you need to understand is that bacteria will be fed ahead of a plant typically, okay? So if bacteria need available nitrogen for reproductive reasons and you have a lot of bacteria, they can, in the short term, prevent a plant from getting sufficient nitrogen. Um, so, you know, that, that's a thing that, grow, that growers can do to themselves that, uh, I'll give you an example. It, I, I was probably 20 years old. I cleared a piece of land. We logged it. It was all softwood. We, uh, we, so we took the spruce and fir, anything saleable, and sold it, and I had this Valby chipper. So we chipped everything else. Anything that couldn't be sold as a log was chipped because we didn't want to burn anything anymore because we didn't want to... Um, we wanted a longer term carbon benefit than you know than the quick nutrient blast of ash and uh and this is we were had a market uh, we had unbalanced market for broccoli broccoli was one of the big products on our farm we were wholesaling broccoli um and we needed rotation space and that's why we were clearing these woods and you know i decided that all right i'll we'll just chip everything and spread it and then i will apply I had a neighbor who was not keeping up, older folks not keeping up with their spreading their cow manure. I would apply, uh, you know, 40 or 50 tons to the acre of uncomposted green cow manure from that for that very, win you know, the winter before. With the notion that that would all balance 
as numbers. And in fact, on paper, the numbers seemed to me to be appropriate, but time was missing. And so you could see beautiful broccoli plants marching out across the field adjacent, and they get to the, you could see the line exactly where they went out into the field, stunted little purple things. They looked like there was no phosphorus. They looked, it was a total catastrophe, okay? Mm-hmm. And I, I said, okay, there's a textbook event, basically, and planted a legume. I, you know, I drilled in uh, vetch, I think, and, and clover and, uh, and possibly some alfalfa, whatever I had around. And the following year, it grew a beautiful crop of, fantastic crop of broccoli, okay? Um, but in the short term, I had, I had starved that crop because of the imbalance of it. So it, 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 moderation is the trick and or composting. Today's episode is supported by BCS America. BCS two-wheel tractors are often mistaken for just a rototiller, which is really funny to me because I own a BCS and four attachments, and the tiller attachment is probably the one I use the least on my five-acre market garden. I invested in a BCS just ahead of my second year in business. That was six years ago, and I still consider it the most important investment I made for my farm. Check out bcsamerica.com to see the full lineup of tractors and attachments, plus video of the BCS in action. bcsamerica.com. And thanks to BCS for their support. This episode is supported by Dubois Agrinovation. Renowned for their customer service, Dubois can be your one-stop shop for tools and supplies for the modern farm and market garden. Irrigation supplies, hand tools, pest control, mulch films, containers, and on and on. Visit them at DuboisAg.com and get free shipping on orders of $200 or more. As a market gardener myself, I've benefited from their huge selection, and it's really easy to get someone on the phone to ask questions and build an order. That's D-U-B-O-I-S-A-G.com. Thanks to Dubois for their support. Hey there. One more note while we're talking about show support. Producing this podcast is a ton of work, so if you're enjoying it, please consider supporting it. You can do so at theruminant.ca slash gift registry. That's the ruminant.ca slash gift registry. Thanks, folks. Okay, so let's review. Carl thinks that wood chips, and ideally rainial wood chips from hardwood trees, can be a very effective soil amendment, either added directly or as an ingredient in your compost. By the way, I asked Carl why hardwood over softwood rainial, and he told me that one reason is that you tend to see a narrower carbon to nitrogen ratio in hardwood rainial. Anyway, Carl says that your soil can benefit from up to 10 tons per acre per year of the stuff, but ideally not if you're going to grow a market crop there right away. Another point Carl made is that you really need to make an amendment plan based on what's available to you. Carl actually stressed this a few different ways during our conversation. One thing that stood out to me, actually, is Carl's emphasis on practices and strategies for his business that are efficient for his context. When he says that chipped hardwood rainial is ideal, he assumes you can get or make the stuff affordably. Here's Carl again. Uh, you know, we haven't started to talk about cost and benefit at all yet, um, which obviously at some point becomes relevant. How to actually, what, do you, what does it cost to get this stuff home and what kind of manipulation ought it to have? Um, and, and those all affect the, the, the value to the farm. Um, like, you know, we are, are able to get literally thousands of yards of wood chips a year because we're convenient dump on Main Street here, mm-hmm. okay? People bring us, uh, the, the tree services bring us a lot of wood chip. Um, 
in our case and in our practice, we utilize that wood chip for a lot of things that are, are that those wood chips really don't find their way into compost if they do typically for four years or so. Um, but that's not to say you couldn't utilize such wood chips much more quickly if that was the resource you had and you wanted to use it appropriately in market gardening. Um, so, so uh, finding other things to blend with those wood chips might give you much better efficacy and protect you from some of the potential consequences of overindulging in raw wood chips in market gardening. So if you can't get hardwood rainial chips cheaply, you need to adapt your plan. Use softwood if that's all you've got, or maybe don't plan to use wood chips at all if you're farming on Easter Island or something. When Carl found out that I would likely need to apply wood chips to soil actively growing market crops because I don't leave much land fallow each year, he suggested I try putting them in the pathways in between beds. So actually, see, that's where I would start putting Ramiel actually pretty substantially is in those uh, pathways. Mm -hmm. and, and, and even trying to develop some composting in your, you know, composting trash in your betweens because you're trafficking that and, and you're, you're scratching it. You're probably doing various things to try to keep it from becoming, having uh, invasive weeds, right? Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. So trafficking your wood is a really good way to, uh, and by the way, credit to Albert Howard again, that in indoor, they, they, they established, uh, and in, in the, uh, indoor was a place, but also in the tea plantation in, in Sri Lanka that he managed, they had cartage roads and they they harvested sun hemp, which is a tropical legume, and they'd lay the the sun hemp. They'd run it in the margins of the farm and out not where the tea was, but they had places where they could vigorously grow this very productive legume, and they would cut it as road you know tall pieces of of of, of shrubbery, and they would lay it across the stone roadway and travel it with their oxen so that it, it was constantly getting traveled and trafficked and broken. Um, and so that's another strategy on certain kinds of small farms with brushwood. If you don't want to invest in the chipping technology is to traffic, literally traffic it into soil. Right. Um, and I'm not sure that that's, you know, we might be off in the weeds again for the market gardener, but um, there's a, there, you know, in the betweens, and then it can be pulled up into the beds as it ages. And you, know, you can grow, actually, it's an opportunity to put some legumes to work and have the wood prevent them from uh, getting so rooted that they can't be disrupted. Right. Finally, he stressed the importance of the right size wood chips and also mentioned a couple options for blending them with other ingredients before application. Yeah, well, I, I would advocate that, you know, to the extent that people can get uh, small diameter chips, Ramiel wood and much of what's available at, from landscape work is small diameter stuff and certainly from power line clearing that's usually small diameter stuff because it's regularly harvested so it really becomes like coppice wood and it you know and then um, utilize it carefully um, no more than 10 ton acre and if possible blend it with uh, other beneficial, a compost of some kind. Uh, if you have access to leaves, blending wood chips with leaves, and and you know if you have the opportunity to tum if you have a bucket loader and you can tumble it and get a little heat, 
before you spread it, that's a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, um, because it makes the lignin, uh, you know, and, and, and wood in the right amounts, and this is why I mentioned at the beginning of this, the Cornell and Laval work, the, 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 the soil system can usually kind of manage I mean, this is where they were teetering on the question of when were you ha- did you would you have nitrogen demand? And I would encourage anybody to go look at the work because it was voluminous with a lot of different things tried. Um, and you know, the takeaway that I have these years later from I haven't read it in a while, but was that basically you could, if you were opening soil for vegetable intensive vegetable production, you could safely put ten ton of fresh ramiel wood chip out every year and never and, and and that that would sustain your your productivity over decades um in that circumstance because it provided enough uh, uh added carbon and durable carbon structures to really improve the outcomes over time so, so 10 ton acre which is not a lot of ground coverage right it's the, that's not like mulching something I mean, you know, you see the wood, but but it wouldn't look like it was covering the ground at all. But are you? Can we break that down a bit? Are you essentially saying that if you happen to have access to to decent rainial wood, and I think just referencing an earlier part of our conversation, deciduous, ideally, um, and if it's let's say it's a relatively small chip, that that you could be directly applying, just scattering uh, at, at that rate yes. for yes, for an enormous benefit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yes, you could, and I have done that. Everything matters, and and the variables are substantial. So, at a certain point, you kind of get something that seems to be working, and that you trial, and um, and and then you you try to adhere to that, even though the climate changes. You know, uh, you can be buying bark from somewhere, and they can get a different debarker, and it will actually start to have a very different ratio of uh, wood, you know, uh, bowl wood, as you would call it, to bark. And um, those anatomies matter. At this point in our conversation, we moved on to another topic. I really wanted to ask Carl for some of his thoughts about the modern biointensive market gardening methods championed by people like Jean-Martin Fortier and practiced poorly by chubby podcast hosts. Carl's a guy who's devoted his life to improving soil and building compost, so I asked him to share some of his thoughts about the notion of exploding lots and lots of vegetables out of small spaces and relying on off-farm fertility to keep the soil happy. Here's what he said first. Um, market gardening, okay, so here's, you know, here's a sort of slogan. Uh, arable takes, sod makes. Have you ever heard that? It's an old one. No. It's kind of a chestnut. Arable takes, sod makes. This is about soil, okay? So the market gardener typically uh, and historically has been willing to burn soil to get produce, right? And has traditionally needed to put a lot of effort into putting back. Then along came chemicals, right? Mm-hmm. So market gardeners traditionally live near eaters. Eaters actually waste things. Waste is a... Uh, a verb, not a noun, okay? It's a set of choices. Mm -hmm. And one of the tricks about getting these elevated production levels, and Jean-Martin talks about this a lot, you know, is that you you got to get some actual stuff to put back because you don't have the 
time scale luxury to really grow all your fertility in most market gardening circumstances. Right now, if you're in the middle of the woods, you can actually go harvest it out of the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, and, you know, this is back to the why do animals matter? Even if you're not going to keep the animals, oh, my God, is it easier to maintain fertility in a market gardening system with animals involved, even relatively small amounts? And, you know, it can be even wild animals. We, we have, I've been really wanting to understand how to calculate the contribution of birds like wild turkeys where we sometimes have 60 or 70 of these huge animals work in a windrow and you know they're making a significant contribution not only in volume which is is small relatively but each manure is a different bolus of biota contributing to more diversity in the compost making and we know over and over again as a rule of biology generally that more diversity increases productivity uh, so, you know, we can accept that as a, and kind of keep saying that poem to ourselves, uh, that we want to welcome, we want to engage with the ecology that surrounds us and, and support the friendlinesses <laughs> with our, does that make any sense? It sure does, Carl. It sure does. But I also wanted to know if he was concerned, as in concerned that fertility replacement is being overlooked in the biointensive model. I mean... Jean Martin certainly doesn't overlook it in his book, The Market Gardener. But as a grower myself, I also know how easy it is to let your fertility plan slide a bit because you're just so dang busy. And meanwhile, you're asking a lot from your soil. Well, sustainability and profitability concern me. Sustainability of the soil in the practice, of course, should concern us all. Um, Sometimes I think of the compost maker, I've described us as, as the thin brown line connecting specialized husbandry to specialized horticulture. Okay? You know, compost man, like a, like a brown streak, uh, yeah, like a streak of shit. <laughs> yeah. So general farms of the, of, at the turn of the 19th century, 1900, anywhere in North America, European, uh, you know, uh, influenced, uh, still peasant-informed, from the old country a bit, but production agriculture still had on a general farms had equines for power, typically did have cattle of some kind, typically did have small ruminants and often had poultry. Um, if I were the czar of small farming, I would demand of most market gardens that they start with chickens or get a neighbor who has chickens. First of all, chickens produce food that you don't need teeth to eat every day of the year, right? Eggs. The foundation of traditional market farming was equine power, right? The French intensive gardeners, New York City, New Jersey, they all hauled drayage manure back to the farm on their, going home from bringing in the vegetables, right? So these systems were driven by actually hayfields further out because of all of the uh, the moving of goods around had this manure source that primed the pump for market gardening and for hotbeds and for all of those things. So I would encourage market gardeners that want to see their soil, want to leave their soil to their 
progeny in better shape, yeah, get get in the flow of some animal manure because that's one of the main magic sauces. It really is. It does, but it and, just and it, we could talk. It, it well, it just strikes me that 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 this kind of orientation, you know, I, there's nothing inherently wrong with dividing up, you know, the the output of of different farms and and specialization but it just seems to me it does put a lot of pressure on that thin brown line that that we that that it, that it depends on really good compost being made if it's going to be imported onto the farm well and the distribution you know this is one of the things uh, in terms of food security in communities okay frankly i think eggs and and we have produced eggs for sale on our farm on main street in the capital city every day of every year since 98 we have produced eggs for sale on that farm. Okay, it's now, whatever that is, 21 years of continuous production of eggs without purchasing grain mm-hmm. for those animals. On the fruit of, the, the surfeit of a combination of community discarded food and cattle manure and equine manure and spoiled crops from neighboring enterprises, okay? So between stables and dairy farms and all of that, and, and, and of course, our, we developed the enterprise of producing media for sale at a, at, a, at a gave us margin way beyond, frankly, you know, the eggs are uh, over time somewhat like karma yoga. They've paid, they've paid wages to people. They've met, helped to uh, improve the quality of the compost. And we've all been eating eggs. I personally, in 20 years, calculate I've probably eaten 20,000 eggs. Because in our world, when you're hungry, there's eggs. <laughs> you don't need teeth to eat them. Babies, old people, they can be laid every day of the year in a place where it's frequently snow on the ground. Very tiny amounts of additional life. Really, you know, unlike they don't photosynthesize, they hormonal trigger. So we can input light to really control egg supply from a from a food safety point of view in a community. And at the end, you get to eat the chicken. Not to utilize them um, is kind of nuts. And I don't understand why more utilization of birds uh, to drive the fertility for market gardening. I mean, you know, yeah, I I would I would want every market gardener to say the reason we don't do this is we can't because. Now, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not by much, really. Do you think it is sufficient for a gardener like me to use a standard soil test to, to, as a report card to tell me if I'm, if I'm moving in the right direction as far as caring for the soil? Um, well, soil testing is a, good, is a very good subject, perhaps. Um, um, uh, is it a, a, um, a sufficient report card? Well, you know... We do a lot of soil. We do a lot of plant trials, okay, in media. Um, and one of the things over time I've learned to think about that is that ultimately, and 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 frequently in in our case, we're making entire media, which is you know has a certain hubris. We're going to assemble all the things. Mm-hmm. We we a human cannot make a soil. We can merely, you know, participate in the mystery. We can curate a soil, but we actually make these decisions. We we assemble ingredients, okay, um, and um, and then we always ask plants about how they're feeling about it because our client is really the plant. The grower is the middle person who may or may not sign the check, 
but the client is a plant, and we would rather ask plants at the, we do a lot of lab work too, more to see if something radical might be changing, but um, I would much rather see excellent plants and dubious labs than sketchy plants and labs that are saying, no, everything's fine. And I have seen both circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you know, you, you, you need the feedback from plants to know how you're doing over time. Uh, and, um, and growers, of course, if they're paying attention, do get that. But I would agree that many growers are, are trying to buy their fertility in a bag. They're trying to manage. They, you know, market gardeners get a lot of training in marketing, in making sure you have a market in all of that stuff and presentation and rarely have a lot of extra um, time in their lives. So um, the fertility thing is often, uh, you know, I, okay, if I go to a farmer's market and I see that people are trans, who are growing onions in a transplant culture are selling onions that you can almost touch your thumb and forefinger on the onion, mm-hmm. right? Not quite. Instead of onions that you are hard put with to, you know, get your middle finger and your, your thumbs, you know, you should be able to put both. I mean, that tells me that their fertility is challenged. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I look at onions cause this is directly at profitability, really directly at their profitability. Um, so, um, you know, it, it, it's hard to, for most growers, it would be much better to grow, farm less land and have it be highly productive. Than, uh, and that's part of the principle that Jean-Martin is teaching, which is to get very intensive with your production. Mm-hmm. Well, here, here's a concern I have. A lot of people are looking for the goal, a, a, rule, a set of rules that will solve all of their problems. And, and, and sometimes that's helpful to have certain kinds of rules. But really starting to visualize the root shape and mass and what it's what's happening down there um is good discipline for growers um and sometimes it makes sense to to give plants more space rather than less for for productivity and there's actually very good science about that mm-hmm. um, and i see people often crowding themselves uh and um uh hindering themselves that way um in intensive gardening um and ask the plants ask your plants if you know if you if you're making a compost and you want it to germinate plants and be kind to plants, put some seeds in it, stick it in a plastic bag in your pocket and see how, how, how the seedlings look. Ask plants a lot. Uh, and, and, you know, plants are great composting mechanics. So plants will support the fungus that will make the lignin and cellulose structures. So, you know, a pile of brush with, with a pile of wood chips and some legumes growing on it and a little bit of compost to get the seeds started and then uh then pay attention and and harvest it when it's been growing for a while watch what the roots are doing carl hammer it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today and i just want to thank you again for coming on the show and thank you for having me and you know i I, 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 these subjects fascinate me and any one of them could be the subject of more conversation (laughs) when you're ready All right, so that is episode two of a batch of five episodes that are being released all at once or pretty much all at once over the space of 24 hours, and I hope you enjoyed it. 
So go look for Vermont Compost and Carl Hammer if you want to find out more about him and it. Uh, thanks to the show sponsors today, BCS America and Dubois Egg Renovation. And I'll be talking to you very soon. I have to keep working away at uploading these things. And I'm having a good time. I hope you are. You can always let me know what you think at editor at the ruminant.ca. Thanks, folks. I've got a plan to make our final escape. All we'll need is each other a hundred dollars and maybe a roll of duct tape. And we'll run right outside of the city's reaches We'll live off chestnut spring water and peaches We'll owe nothing to this world of thieves And live life like it was meant to be Why would we live in a place that don't want us? A place that is trying to bleed us dry. We could be happy with life in the country, with salt on our skin and the dirt on our hands. I've been doing a lot of thinking, some real soul searching. And here's my final resolve I don't need a big old house or some fancy car To keep my love going strong So we'll run right out into the wilds and braces We'll keep close quarters with gentle faces And live next door to the birds and the bees And live life like it was meant to be